But I still have books of hers I haven't read, but I haven't bought them yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> I do, yes. But um, I think that that instinct of thinking how good something looks on the sh- on you know the bookstore shelf um, <laughs> can sometimes override that. So I have sympathy. I'm not saying it makes sense, but I definitely have sympathy for people who who go down that route. <laughs> I know. I just it, it's like uh, they will go over like uh, do what they call a bookshelf tour. Oh, I have this book, but I haven't read it. And I have this book, but I haven't read it. Such as Agatha Christie, it's like. Like half the book. <laughs> yes, yeah, and especially those are so easy to read, um, and that's a real compliment. Sometimes people think that's almost a criticism to say how easy to read they are, but it's, it's difficult to make a book grip you in the way that you want to keep reading it, um, and and makes it accessible for all sorts of audiences. I mean, whether you're a Twelve-year-old at school, or whether you've read it ten times and you're ninety, it's still something to get out of it. Oh yeah, and that—that's uh, that's another thing. I've always liked to reread mysteries, not just all mysteries. I like to reread them. It—it—it's like a part of your brain, sort of, even though you've read it, sometimes shuts down a part of the book, so you get surprised. Oh, I didn't remember that as you're reading it. So you always have something that's a surprise in the story, even if you remember who the killer is. Yeah, and I think there are quite a few Agatha Christie's that really stand up well to being reread. Um, I think I was talking to somebody not very long ago about, about Five Little Pigs, which is one of her sort of um, classics, really. Yeah. But that is very, very much about relationships. And I think that if you read it when you're quite young, which I did, and I remember reading it when I was maybe 13, and I didn't mind, I thought it was fine, but it wasn't anything special for me because I was really looking for the mystery. And when you reread it and you're older and you understand the relationships and everything, um, I think you read it in a very different way and it's, it's much better actually the second time you read it. So that can happen. Yes, definitely that can happen. Sometimes the other way around, but mostly they're, they're, they're very good for rereading. Also, Five Little Pigs is very repetitive in a way. It's not actually repetitive because it's different viewpoints. But if you're younger, you might not get the the thing that it's it's not being repetitive, that it's actually telling you different people's perspectives of the story and Perot trying to find the liar. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. And I think if you're looking for, you know, where's the clue and and um, uh, checking out alibis and stuff like that, it isn't that sort of a novel, um, which can make it a little bit different for, especially, I think, younger readers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it really depends. It, there's several books that you, it, it, there's it, some books that are for maturity, that, and it's not just Agatha Christie. There's a lot of books from different authors that you have to be more mature to uh, get um, totally off subject. Would be like Jane Austen. She has uh, persuasion, and a lot of people, when they're younger, read persuasion. It doesn't move them at all. But as you get older and you see the perspective of it and what's really going on, suddenly it's your favorite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This sounds absolutely typical. It's it's it is. Um I mean, that's part of the joy of it, isn't it? That you can revisit them and enjoy them in different ways because um, even with somebody with as many books as Agatha Christie wrote, um, there's still a finite amount. And to be able to go back and enjoy them again is a real treat. Yeah, because, I mean, it's not infinite because she's gone. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Do you think it's... uh, you your expertise is uh, like adaptions, right? Uh, yeah, my first book about Agatha Christie was about um, film and TV adaptations of her work, um, and then my second book was about Poirot generally, so including the books um, and short uh, stories and things like that. So I've, I've broadened out a bit, but I would say that yeah, most people would think that adaptation is is my do you, what is your uh, theory about how younger people get into pro? Is it through the books or the adaptions, or is it either or? Well, yeah, I guess it is either or, but a lot come 
from adaptation. Um, so I don't know how it is over there, but over here, the Poirots are still, the, the David Suchet series are still repeated on fairly prominent sort of cable channels quite frequently. I mean, on a constant loop. I, I suspect you're never more than 24 hours away from a Poirot. Um, so uh, it's easy for people to get into Agatha Christie that way. And I, it, it was how I got in, I think. Um, you know, I certainly remember watching the series, which started when I was about seven, um, six. And um, I think that that, well, well, I know that was really, really important to me, but I also know that I was quite a precocious reader <laughs> and was reading things when I was, you know, in, in primary school, so, you know, nine or ten years old. Um, I found a book the other day, actually, that, that about, Sherlock, about Sherlock Holmes to me by my grandparents one Christmas and I was 10 years old um, so that that was a bit of an insight into how long this has been going on this interest not just in the fiction but in the sort of wider world of, of detective um, fiction I actually was like that I mean I, I think the first uh, mystery book that I really got into was because of a TV series. Um, when I was a little girl, there was a series called Ellery Queen with Jim Hutton. Yeah. And um, that's the first one I really got. I did, Sorry, Agatha Christie fans. <laughs> My first mystery that I fell in love with was, was Ellery Queen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it helped that it was Jim Hutton, too, you know, because he was really handsome and really funny, and he was a wonderful actor, um, and he died too young. Um, but he was, yeah, that, uh, and so my father and mother were very bright, and when they saw that either of us had an interest in something, they would get us the books, if there's books. So I fell in love with Ellery Queen, so next thing I know, on my birthday, I got six Ellery Queen books. Right, perfect. Mm-hmm. And that's how it happened with Agatha Christie, was, um... I think the first, I didn't see Murder on the Orient Express because I was too young, but I saw um, Death on the Nile with Peter Ustinov. That was the first, that was the first Perot I'd ever seen and really loved it. And um, again. Do you go go back to those Ellery Queens out of interest? Were they ones that you read when you were young and then you put to one side or, or do you go and revisit Ellery Queen? I do revisit. I do. I I actually um, recently reread one that I haven't read since I was ten years old, and um, it, it some of them stand up and some of them don't. Um, it it isn't. It's the attitude. Um, there was one that I read recently that was. The end. I didn't remember it. I remembered who the killer was, but, and I remember why and everything. But I didn't remember why he killed until I got to the end. And his. I don't want to give anything away, but his reaction to the killer was shocking to me because it was so rude and bad and <laughs> nasty. You kind of don't blame the guy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because it was horrible. Um, so that was so that doesn't stand up because it's just really um not really nice. You know what I that's mean? Interesting. Yeah, I do. Yes, that's interesting. It's the characterization mm-hmm. that is dated more than the mystery. Yeah. yeah, the mystery was good. It was solid. <laughs> ah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I do. I uh, there was I I like the ones the ones I really like are the ones that have Ellery in it, and uh, especially the ones that are like in the small town Wrightsville. I love those. <laughs> <laughs> when he and his father go fishing and trip over a dead body, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I know my Ellery Queen knowledge is not great. Um, I haven't. I've read a couple. Because uh, I picked them up a, f- a few years ago, but but no, it's one of the many areas of crime fiction that I have a pile <laughs> of books waiting to be read. So uh, that's why I was wondering where, how well you felt that they stood up now, even at this distance. Uh, it, it, I I haven't reread all of them because I I still have a stack. 
Um, I have a pretty good library of them. Um, but um, the ones I've read, the mystery itself really stands up. Right. That's good. That's a good start. Yeah. Um, and and some, um, some of the full book stands up. You know, I mean, it's just that one just really went, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I actually really like Ellery Queen. I think the it's a clever, and I also think it's really funny because Ellery Queen was two people and it was all yeah. made up so that they created a character named Ellery Queen because not all the Ellery Queens have Ellery Queen in it. It's just uh, just a standalone with a, a policeman or or a, um, a, an amateur detective doing it. Um, I, I, they're good too, but they're not as good as the ones that actually have Ellery in it, in my opinion. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, it's um, like I say, one of those piles of ones that I will get to probably in about ten years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Off the show, I will warn you about the ones that um, I'm just told you about, <laughs> in <laughs> okay. case you, in case you have it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I just don't want to spoil for anybody. Um, yeah. But uh, but I love Ellery Queen. I love. I have a lot of. I have Sherlock Holmes. I have Perry Mason. I have. I mean, I've been collecting them since I was a little girl. So I have a lot of stuff that's out of print, like the Perry Mason ones. I don't think they're in print anymore. Oh wow! That is a surprise. Actually, it's. That's another character that keeps coming back as well, Perry Mason. Well, yeah, thanks to Raymond Burr. <laughs> That's true, yeah. I mean, who would have thought uh, those movies would be as popular as the TV series? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you've ever seen them, but... I Yeah, I, I did. Well, when I was much younger, yes, they used to be on quite a lot. I um, there, there was a... A revival wasn't wasn't there like a young Perry Mason or something recently? I, I, am I making that up? I think there was another series. I don't remember but, that. I mean, I'm I, I'm sure you're right. I just don't actually. They they have so many things where they say oh, the, the they're going to revive it that it just it's impossible to keep up with them. Um, I know <laughs> it was on HBO. I've just just looked whilst we were chatting. So yeah, so it was uh, Matthew Reese playing Perry Mason. So okay. yeah, a bit younger than. Well, I mean, Raymond Burr, when he did the TV series, I think he was in his 30s, so... Oh, really? Was he? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize He just that. always looked older. If you <laughs> if you look at his... One of his most famous movies is Rear Window, and he was the same age as Jimmy Stewart, but he was playing an older man. I mean, he just yeah. always played... And um, the Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin movie where he was the bad guy... Again, he wasn't that much older than them, but because of the way his face was, he played an older man. He was always yeah. playing older. He's yeah. sort of like Jeffrey Palmer. Jeffrey Palmer always played older than he was. Yes, yes, yes. It's actually a good thing uh, in terms of getting cast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to, be, to look older, then that's, that's you're in demand then. Yeah, I mean, look at look at his Jeffrey Palmer's career. I mean, he his, his was one of the most varied careers. Uh, he did all kinds of he was he did like Doctor Who, I mean, in the 60s. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah, he did and he did it again for the revival and mm-hmm. then he did sitcoms and he did big budget movies. Yes. Yes, he's one of those actors who was never out of work. <laughs> Oh, that was a good, yeah, his, the one he did with uh, David Tennant, that was a good Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, one of the big ones as well, yeah. Yeah. Lots of people watch it. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Well, yeah, David Tennant, I think, is like, even though all the Doctors are very popular, I think David Tennant's one of the most popular Doctor Whos. Oh, yes, I would say so. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah, he was he was really good in that, too. Um <laughs> He he, it's, he was he caused all the havoc and yet you felt really sorry for him. That that's talent. <laughs> yes, yes, that's very true. He's got had a always very good with the sort of subtle expressions. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I grew up watching talk about watching something from when you're very young was was as time goes by. Um, 
And um, my mom loved those shows. We used to have, um, uh, a sh I grew up in Los Angeles, and we had Los Angeles PBS, and we had Huntington Park P P PBS, and we had Orange County PBS, so we had all these PBSs. The Huntington Park one would have like a block of Britcoms every Saturday. From the time okay. I was like, I think, uh, 10, 11, something like that. No, I was older than that. I was about 13. I was a preteen. Um, and so they, at, at the beginning, it would be like Faulty Towers and Are You Being Served and stuff like that. But when it, it, it continued into when I was an adult, and then they they added as time goes by and keeping up appearances, last of the last of the wine, last of the summer wine, last yeah. of the summer wine, yeah, they they would have those, and I don't I don't live in L A anymore, but um, I'm sure PBS still does it because it was very popular. <laughs> yes, it's funny these things that have been shown probably more times in in the United States than they have a half in their home country. <laughs> Yeah, um, I can't remember what his name is. He played Alistair in As Time Goes By. He, he was in Footballer's Wives. I, oh, I can't remember his name. But he played Alex, Al Alistair in uh, As Time Goes By, and he said that when he came for, like, a promo PBS promotion, he um, he went to, like, a tea, have tea with Alistair or something like that was the thing to and there was a lot, it was like a blockbuster movie. There was a line around the block. <laughs> Funny, isn't it? Yeah. He, he, he goes, at home, nobody even knows who I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's funny, one of those things that just takes off in different markets, because I think, especially that one, is, is quite a, uh, it's very gentle, and it's got a, a an idealized version of, British middle classes, I think, that um, probably British people have a better idea as to how accurate that is. But it was still a success over here. I'm not saying it wasn't. But it wasn't like a... Um, doesn't get repeated endlessly, um, like I, I know that some things do in America. Same with Keeping Up Appearances and um, Are You Being Served, actually. Um, they don't necessarily get seen that much. Or they, not on the loop. It's funny because... Um I, I I learned a lot from watching those because, um, like, I, I didn't know what a pantomime was before I saw Are You Being Served. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah I'd never heard of that before. But Are You Being Served, they always have pantomimes. At least one episode a season, they had a pantomime in it. And so that, that introduced me to it. Um, you know, um, I also had seen it in, um, I love... British shows, so forgive me for going on and on, but <laughs> there was there was a show. It was a it was a mini series, and it had like a, it had a first part of the mini series and a second part of the mini series, and it was about actors in the 1920s. Oh yeah, it was called The Bretts. Belinda Lang was in it. It was a really good show. Um, but I fell in love with it. But they had a pantomime in that, too. That was the only other time I'd ever heard of a pantomime. <laughs> yes, they, these cultural things that sometimes you can take for granted and then realize that they don't <laughs> translate at all internationally. Well, it's uh, basically a fairy tale that adults uh, give for an adult audience. Uh, and, and, and from what I've seen, it's usually for a charity or something. <laughs> Well, it's yes, it's Christmas and it's for a family audience and it's uh, yeah, it's usually based on one of the fairy tales. So it might be Cinderella or Snow White and there's singing in it and there's lots of silly comedy and there are traditions in it that people, you know, they know how to react to the audience. It's a very interactive production, so the audience is expected to shout out certain phrases at certain times. Um, so yes, it's. Um, it's it's deeply entrenched into British culture. <laughs> I, that's what I understood. I just never heard of it until I saw these shows. Um, yeah. It's it to us. It's like, oh wow, this is interesting. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, we've always had our oddities in Britain, so it's one of the many. <laughs> 
Well, it's like uh, one of the things was that in, in the breadth, um, the Belinda Lane character, her name was Martha. She actually uh, played the boy in the um, in the pantomime because it was tradition that a girl played the boy. Yes, that's it. Yeah, it doesn't happen quite as much. I was talking about someone someone about this not very long ago. It doesn't happen quite as much as it used to. But yes, the idea was that certainly that the um, principal boy would be be played by a woman. Yeah. I think that's interesting. I just like. <laughs> okay. Yes, yes, yes. But again, it's just so deep rooted from hundreds of years ago, and they're, they're so popular that a lot of theatres rely on um, pantomimes to keep their the money coming in, and that actually they're the things that make the money for them. Um, so when we had our COVID lockdown, like everybody else, it was all about whether the pantomimes could come back in in theatres because those are the things that were making the money so that all the other productions could be put on. Yeah, that was, and it's nice of uh, um, the West End to suspend the um, the countdown on the mousetrap to keep it the longest running show. <laughs> yes, yes, I think that well, that really is taking it out of your own hands, isn't it? So when you say it's a pandemic, I think that's probably only fair. Uh, and it was, I think, the first one to reopen as well in a special performance. So that was lovely too. Yeah, yeah. As I, I remember, oh dear, Mousetrap's going to lose its position and then somebody was, uh, I'm one of the, I'm, I'm a fan of Agatha Christie, so I'm on a lot of sites like Facebook and stuff. And one of the sites said, oh no, they're suspending it. So when she, they, it comes back, they'll continue their account. <laughs> Yes, yes, it's 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 uh, you can't uh, displace a mousetrap that easy. It'll take more than a pandemic to knock that off its perch. Well, I mean, it was it came out in the fifties, was it? Yeah, that's right. Yes, so uh, seventy years. We just passed seventy years. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah, it is, and it's. Uh, I still I see it every few years, um, and. Uh, well, last time I saw it in London, maybe four years ago, and I, that the appreciative audience is always what I'm looking out for, because obviously I know what's going to happen, but it's still, it doesn't take anything for granted, it's still a polished production, they refresh the cast every year so that people don't get stayed or whatever, um, and yeah, it was really lovely to see an audience that was really enjoying it, and a really diverse audience as well, because there were a lot of tourists there. Um, but a lot of people who just, you know, locals who are going to see it as well. Um, so that's always really lovely to see it too. Because that's another thing is that uh, I've been to England and the West End, they have the same thing as Broadway does, that you can get uh, tickets less expensive mm. um, for those of us that don't have a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we get that same day sort of tickets where there's a few each day, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I uh, I even though I had seen um, Phantom before, I saw it in um, on the West End again, and I saw uh, Mousetrap because I wanted to see Mousetrap. Um, I'd never seen it before, and so even though it does play here in the U.S., I mean there there is uh, it's all over. It's like a favorite of colleges. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I'm often getting alerts because I have a a news alert for Agatha Christie, so every morning I get a little digest to tell me just in case anything interesting has come up in the news. And I would say a good half of them are about touring productions of the mousetrap somewhere in the world <laughs> to say yeah, the mousetrap's been announced for Sydney or it's been announced for Canada. So, uh, yes, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Well, it's a really good play. Yeah, and oh, yeah. and um, I don't know... Is it true that like her stuff is starting to get revived a lot of her plays? Oh yeah, I the, in the West End, well in London, um, we've had witness for the prosecution for several years now as well. Um, I'm not quite sure when that opened, maybe 2018, something around that. And um, that's fantastic. That's at uh, County Hall, which is not a theatre, but the it's like a courtroom. Um, 
so it used to be used for debating and stuff when there was a London Assembly. Um, so it's absolutely perfect for a courtroom drama, uh, and that's been going very successfully. And again, that's another one that I've seen two or three times, uh, and at the end, it's very satisfying to hear the gasps from people um, when they realise, you know, who done it, what the mystery is all about. Uh, but yeah, lots of revivals, lots of touring productions, and in the last 10 or 15 years, it's been pretty constant that there's been something Agatha Christie touring. I went to see The Mirror Cracked um, a few months ago, actually. That's a new production, a new adaptation of the novel. Um, and that was very good, and that was doing different things, trying out new things for Agatha Christie on stage, which is all, all to the good, really. I actually was in an Agatha Christie play. I was in Death... Not Death. Murder on the Nile. It was Death on the mm. Nile, but the play's Murder on the Nile. And the thing that... When I auditioned, I had seen Death on the Nile with Peter Ustinov when I was younger. So I And I read it. So I I was ready for the audition. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah, so it's... Um, the thing about her plays as well is that they're, they're such sharp characters. You know, you know right away who this sort of person is. There's no sort of um, messing around. You're told immediately this is the sort of person this is, which I think is a bit of a gift for small, you know, dramatic groups to mm -hmm. be able to do that. And oh, yeah. there's also often a nice range of characters as well, which is good if you've got a, a group. I actually really like her plays. I think they're really good. Um, I like the ones she wrote. I, I mean, I don't really... I, I mean, like the one you said about the mirror cracked, I've never seen it. So, I mean, I've seen the movies and the adaptions, but I've never seen a play of it. Do, do they did they change it a lot? So, uh, well, I was quite surprised because I, when I watched it in October, I hadn't read the book for a couple of years, and I actually reread the book just about two or three weeks ago, and I was quite surprised that some of the things that I thought had been added for the play actually are in the book, but they are not given huge emphasis. So, so it was obviously very carefully done to make sure that some of the things that are perhaps implicit in the book get to be made a bit more explicit in oh. the, the, yeah. So some of the characterization and stuff in particular. But yeah, it was it was really quite close. Um, yeah, very close, but it was all, um, the problem with the mirror crack for anybody who doesn't know, it's probably lots of people, but is that Miss Marple's investigating it, but she's got an injury, which means that she is away from the action. So you have to have lots of people coming to her and telling her what's gone on, which actually works really well in the play because it means that you can communicate different perspectives without having to be shown everything. Yeah, um, yeah that makes so, sense. So, yeah, so it's very good. I um, I always liked that. Did, did you, I mean, I'm sure you did, uh, did you uh, enjoy, I put it that way, the Angela Lansbury and Elizabeth Taylor and Rock Hudson version of AmeriCraft? I do enjoy it, and I, I need to rewatch it, actually. Um, but, yes, I do. I think that it's, it's sort of a bit flat. It feels like it needs a bit of pizzazz, um, and it's no reflection on the very on the excellent cast, but there is something about it that just doesn't feel as exciting as, say, the Peter Ustinov ones. Um, and I don't know if that's just because it's a country house mystery. I think that actually it's, it's not terribly well directed. Mm. The camera doesn't make it very exciting. Um, because I really like the actors in it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Angela Lansbury yeah. played a really good Miss Marple. She, she, she um, I mean, she is, she is, I was a huge fan of, of Angela Lansbury, still am. I saw her stage a couple of times, especially. Um, but I, I, I don't think she was miscast in, in the Mirror Cracks, but I think that she was given a very poor, um, the makeup is really bad. Um, they've made her up to look older than she is. Um, and there, there's just little bits about her performance, or her look, I should say, that that make her look a bit stagey, uh. a bit like she isn't actually a real person. Um, but I know that she was quite down on it. Um, I don't think that she thought that it was a great performance of hers. But no, there's loads to really like it. You can see how it goes to, to um, Murder, She Wrote. You give it a tweak, you change the name, 
and then you've got Murder, She Wrote, pretty much. Well, they said it was like an audition for Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it really is. I think, And that Murder, She Wrote came out of the films that um, being shown uh, on CBS, I think, and doing really well. And so CBS were like, this seems like something that we should have more of, and basically let's do our own. Um, so there's no secret about that that they they wanted and that they wanted to make a Miss Marple series initially, um, and were told, well, there's that's great, but there's only twelve Marple novels and about twenty short stories. Um, this is nowhere near enough. You know, certainly for something like Murder She Wrote, <laughs> that's yeah, going to run for however many years. I think it was like twelve years or something. Yeah, I think I think it was. Yeah, yeah I was had twelve, thirteen in my head, and something then like moved that. Afterwards. Yeah. Um, oh, I have to ask you this, because I'm a huge Helen Hayes fan. How do you feel about Helen Hayes as Miss Marple? Yeah, again, they look cheap. Um, and they, they've got this really odd thing that they are really unlucky, those TV movies. They seem to get really bad weather. So in a Caribbean mystery, which is not shot in the Caribbean, mm-hmm. um, shot, shot in California, I think, um, it's obviously not very good weather. <laughs> And so you've just got lots of people caught in the winds and it all not looking very glam. And so I think that, that they're quite hindered by that. But Helen Hayes as a performer is fine. And I know that she is, I have to say that Helen Hayes is pretty much unknown in Britain. And I know that she's much better known in America. Um, and she's got a very odd wandering accent. I'm never quite sure where she's supposed to be from. It's a little bit Scottish, <laughs> a bit strange. Um, but she's fine. But I mean, it's 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 not given any great care and attention. I I don't think any of those TV movies really. See, the one I like her from. I don't. You probably never heard of it, but there was a series called The Snoop Sisters with no, Mildred Natwick. Her. You know, Mildred Natwick. Do you know her? No, I'm afraid not. Oh, really? What, um, if you ever saw a Barefoot in the Park with um, uh, Robert Redford and Jane Fonda, she played Jane Fonda's mother. Okay. I don't know if you yeah. ever saw that. No, but I haven't. I'm sorry. <laughs> wonderful actress. That's I'm just that's all I'm saying. She's a character actress. Really, right. really wonderful. But um, but that's really much more fun. Then the I was, that's why I was curious because I love the uh, Snoop Sisters much more than Miss Marple, but I didn't want to insult you. <laughs> oh, I see. We mean yes, no. I, I, this is quite often happens is that with adaptations, you have to almost be brave enough sometimes to just do your own thing after you've been influenced by something, and often that can end up being really interesting. Um, I mean, we've seen it with the likes of Sherlock and Elementary doing their own things with Sherlock Holmes um, that, you know, if, if Arthur Conan Doyle were, were alive would be appalled by, but that doesn't mean that they're bad, it just means that there's a bit of freedom there to, to try something new with the, the characters and some of the premises. I really, really liked both of them, but Elementary switched it up to the point that I didn't really enjoy it anymore, so I still I watched all the Sherlock's but I kind of stopped elementary because I don't know why American uh, shows do this, but after three or four years, they feel that they have to switch it up and what they, to liven it up. But what they did to me is ruin it. <laughs> yeah, this is so common, isn't it? But then I guess Sherlock had the advantage. I think there were 13 of them, 13 90-minute movies. And so it's almost like setting out its own structure there isn't it rather than being worried about being renewed or whatever um it's got that that real advantage i only watched about the first season of elementary and it was fine but it didn't excite me enough to keep coming back to it um but i know that it was very popular with a lot of people i just felt i guess that i'd seen a lot of what i wanted to see from it yeah and there were other things to watch it is always the case isn't it yeah, there is always a lot of stuff to watch. Endless, especially now. It's just I have a list on my phone of things to watch. Um, you know, because I'm a film and TV lecturer, so I really need to be watching things that are on TV now. And it's not easy to actually get the time. In like when someone else is saying, "Oh, you must watch this," and you go, "Oh God, it's twelve hours long. <laughs> I don't have time for another twelve hour long series." 
Do you watch any of the Australian shows? Because I really like Miss um, Fisher's Murder Mysteries, and there's also My Life is Murder with Lucy Lawless. Have you seen either of those? I, I haven't seen the second one. I've seen several of Miss Fisher's, um, which, again, I, I enjoy, and I can understand. Again, lots of people really, really enjoy them. I don't think that their mysteries actually hold up terribly well all the time. I remember speaking to someone who shall remain anonymous who was appalled by a particular one um, where I think somebody was, uh, like a corpse was supposed to have been taken up and put on top of this big platform. And he was like, there, there was no explanation given for how that could have been done. And I felt that a few times when I watched it, that you could go, oh, I believe that person did it. But then when you started to think about how that actually worked, it, it often, for me, fell apart a little bit. But very entertaining and, and a real nice, modern twist obviously old-fashioned modern <laughs> twist on uh on the, the the same but i haven't seen the other one the one with lucy lawless no i haven't seen that at all oh it's really good i mean i that's my opinion but i really enjoy it uh it's called my life is murder she's a a detective who retired because her husband was uh, killed in the line of duty and she just she lost it so she became a bread maker <laughs> oh right! Oh right! Okay. And but <laughs> but, but what happens is is that her ex partner um, uh, comes to her and says, "I need help on this case." And she goes, "Oh, I'm busy making bread." And he goes, "Oh, come on, you can help me." And anyway, she ends up, of course, investigating. And that's and, <laughs> and so every episode, uh, the partner comes over and brings her a file and <laughs> tries to entice her. <laughs> that's uh yeah that sounds like a lovely emergency uh, road type premise to keep a series going yeah anything that gets someone involved in murder who pretends that they don't really want to be involved that sounds like my cup of tea yeah it's it's a fun series it's so much fun and it's sort of it's like a modern take on sort of the miss fisher getting into trouble all the time well that's sort of what she does too but she's an actual trained detective so there's a big difference Um, oh i see yeah because she was i think she was a detective inspector so she was that high up in rank when she uh when she retired um after the pandemic because she was from new zealand and she was working in australia she kind of couldn't get to australia so they moved it to New Zealand. <laughs> oh, right, okay. <laughs> and uh, they lost the partner, but another policeman came in, and he's doing the same thing as the partner did. But everybody, uh, No, the, uh, the girl who helped her, she's the same person. And um, the cat was – she has a cat, and the cat's new because they couldn't get the cat through customs to get over to – Australia because they're very strict on animals, so they had a, a cat audition. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really it's a good show, and Lucy's more like her real self than I've ever seen her in any show. Um, I mean, she's acting; it's still part, but it's closer to the real Lucy Lawless than I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, that's good. Because she usually plays these really dark characters, and this isn't a dark. This is a light, fun show oh good yeah that's the sort of thing that i think a lot of us need uh these days yeah stuff that's a bit fun to watch yeah and she said that's what she wanted she Ah. she says she she doesn't want dark right now she wants light and fun because the world's too dark (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely yeah that's what i don't need too um now you you mentioned your two books do you have any new one on the horizon that you're working on yeah, so I'm working on a Miss Marple book moment, um, which is uh, probably out towards the end of next year, I think. That's what the plan is at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I'm working on that at the moment. I, I'm getting there. I'm about 70% of the way through, I would say. So um, trying to get that finished for summer so I can send it off my editor for September time. September's a really busy time if you're an Agatha Christie person uh, because there's a festival in Torquay where she was from in Devon uh, and there's also a conference this year uh, just a couple of days before it um, and there's various things that seem to go on around that sort of time because that's when her birthday was, 15th of September. 
So September's always, for me, a really good time to have things done and finished before September starts because I've got busy Agatha Christie stuff and then a same university lecture as well. So universities here go back at the end of September. So, um, yeah, that's the plan to get it all done. And what's the name of the book? Do you know yet? It, yeah, it, well, it will be a version of Agatha Christie's Marple because the last one was Agatha Christie's Poirot. Um, we've got a few discussions still to have about what the full title will be. But, um, yeah, Agatha Christie's Marple or along those lines. It's not up for pre-order or anything yet, um, but hopefully it will be in a few months because, um, yeah, we're still about 18 months away from it coming out after. Now, you just mentioned that you're going to be at the event in September at the Agatha Christie Festival. Do you have any other events, or either online or in person, that you have coming up? Yeah, so, well, I don't know coming up, but I have, um, I'm actually sort of taking, a, I, I've made a, an exception for you, Sherry. I've sort of made, uh, taken a year off doing um, podcasts and things. But because I did an awful lot and I thought people might start to get bored of me and so I thought I would save it up for when I actually had a new book out. Um, so I'm not doing as much this year, but what I am doing is, so yeah, the Agatha Christie Festival, International Agatha Christie Festival in Torquay, um, I, I, can I, I, I've just said that I'm doing it, I am doing it. Uh, they haven't announced it yet actually, but I don't think it will come as any surprise that I am doing it. And there's other things that people are doing at the festival. Um, but also there is, and again, not announced yet, but I think I can probably say that in November there is in Tenerife um, a festival as well, an Agatha Christie festival, which I went to a couple of years, I was invited to a couple of years ago to speak, um, and it runs every other year, and I'm expecting, hoping, uh, that I'll be going back from that. Um, uh, so that should be fun as well in, in November. That's quite nice to go somewhere a bit warmer in the middle of November <laughs> rather than England, which is not made for winter. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, my one trip to England was in the winter. Um. <laughs> yeah, we're not really built for anything. We're, we're, our, our houses, our buildings, they're not good in summer and they're not good in winter. So um, spring and autumn are always the time to come because we can't cope with any other weather. Well, I was a travel agent at the time, so I, I oh, had to well, go off yeah. season. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's fair enough. And you knew what you were getting into, I suspect. Oh, yeah. I Actually, we I had a English lady who was working with me at the travel agency, and she kept saying, well, don't just stay in London. Go outside of London. I go, yeah, I know. I already have that. Set. Well, please, don't just stay. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And it's funny because... Um, I remember somebody saying to me that their relatives had come over from America, I think, and they had gone from London to Stonehenge for the day. <laughs> it's just, we're just not built, I mean, that's so far apart from each other. And um, uh, our, uh, we, we don't have the sort of transport system in, in this part of the world where Stonehenge is for you to efficiently get there and back from London in a day. Because um, you could look on a map and think, well, that's doable. It's, I don't know, maybe 150 miles or something. And um, but then you actually drive it and you go, no, <laughs> no, actually, they are tiny roads. It is not a comfortable drive. So always do your research, but definitely leave London. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I went, I actually was in Salisbury because so, I wanted to see that. Uh, I went to so uh, Stonehenge and I went to um, I went to the uh, the area in Salisbury that has the church and everything. Okay, yeah. And, and then I also went to Bath and I went to Stratford on Avon. Oh, lovely! Oh, yeah. So those are all very pretty parts of England to go to. That's a good choice. So, and I wanted, uh, you only can go, and I was only there for a finite period of time, so I didn't get to, I really wanted to go to see Agatha Christie's Greenway House, but I just couldn't fit it into the the schedule. <laughs> no, and it is, I, you know, one of the reasons why she lived there is because it was so far out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it's deliberately designed not to be easy to get to. When you know that, that maybe the easiest way to get there is on a ferry. Um, that that's a bit of a giveaway that it's not not easy. Either you pre-book a parking space in their small car park, or you get the ferry across. There is no other way. Um, so, yeah, she liked her privacy and she got it. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, I was, but I I did see lots of stuff. So I went, I was in, I was in London. I went. I'm sorry to those people, but I did stay. I was a tourist. I knew that I may never go to England again, and I wanted to yeah. see as much as I could. <laughs> yeah, that's the way to do it. I, I, you're completely right. Um, you've got to do it. Like I mean, I'm the same when I go wherever. When I went to Los Angeles a few years ago, mm-hmm. um, you've got to do the tourist. I mean, it'd be very strange not to go to the Hollywood Walk of Fame or um, you know to go to the observatory and everything. Um, that's what you want to do. Gotta go to Disneyland, you know. Yeah. Oh well, you gotta go to Disneyland or Universal Studios or mm. <laughs> Warner Brothers Studios, all those places <laughs> with the great tours. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I kept getting hearing people, "Don't be a tourist." So, I mean, I may never go again. I'm gonna be a tourist. <laughs> yeah, quite right too. You made the right decision. It's so funny. I mean, uh, and I've always done that. If you go to a place that you've never been to and that you may never go back to again, go to everything you can. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's what it's there for. That's right. And it's that's part of the fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're coming to the end. Can I have any uh, website and any social media you have so people can come and say hi? Sure. Um, I, my website is markoldridge.info, um, but the easiest way to see what I'm up to is probably Twitter, which I'm at Dr. Mark Aldridge, um, and the same on Instagram if you're an Instagrammer. Um, so it's mostly just photos of books, but still something. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I like books. It's one of my favorite yeah. things. I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, thank you, Mark, for taking time out of your day to visit with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's lovely to be invited on. We've had a great chat. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with Sherry. <laughs>